Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Power of Life. Uh, this afternoon, I've got a, it's an absolute honor to have uh, Barry McDermott online. Um, and Barry's going to go through his, his playing career, what he's done after uh, rugby as well. Um, how are you doing, Barry? How are you doing? You're all right. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for the invite. Always happy and keen to to lend and share my story to, to minds that can mould it and, and, and hopefully take some of the bits and pieces out of it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm doing really good. I'm like most people, trying to find a quiet space in my house with members of my family on different laptops and iPads all over the place. So, yeah, I'm... Um, I'm in, I'm in a corner of my bedroom and, and looking forward to the next half hour or so having a chat with you. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks for joining me. I feel really honoured to be having this chat. And uh, how you found your lockdown? So obviously in your playing days, um, um, you, were, you were used to being outside. Um, you, you're very high level. How are you finding everything at the moment, being at home or, or maybe stuck in, inside? Well, I think it's a state of mind. I think if you approach everything, and on listen, I don't think for one minute we all thought that this would last as long as it's lasted. Yeah. But but some of the things I've I've been lucky enough to do, such as Kilimanjaro, Everest Base Camp, yeah, uh, the National Three Peaks, the Yorkshire Three Peaks, all and and a couple of marathons as well. All those things, I put right back to my rugby mentality. Yeah, you start. You start with the first training session. You start with the set of skills that you need to develop, hone and get better, and you just apply a little bit of effort to that each and every day. So, so first couple of days, first week, first month, it was all about how many times do I need to get outside the house? Yeah. Um, if if you remember, cast your mind back. My word, it's twelve months ago now. We could go out for an hour of exercise every day. So I'd take my dog out. Yeah. So we'd do a we'd do a run, we'd do a walk, we'd we'd time it so we were within those guidelines, and then I'd do a little bit of a workout in my back garden with some of the home kit that I've got, some of my home gym stuff. So, yeah. so I've pretty much done that for twelve months. Um, I, you know, taking not taking into account the times where we could get out and get to the gym, but yeah, I find Danny that for me, what works for me, and I've 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 been out of the game. Um, over a decade now and, and what I what I know and I'm, what I understand about myself is if I'm trying to live a healthy well-balanced lifestyle I'm not spending too much time at work I'm not spending too much time enjoying myself and I've got that work-life balance yeah, right definitely. I'm a lot more bal- I'm a lot more happier in my life so exercise healthy living healthy lifestyle healthy food but a little bit of fun a, f- a few pints of a weekend and a and a bit of takeaway food when when I deserve it keeps me keeps me happy, and that's what life's all about. Definitely, yeah, I think that's a good message as well for some of the students at college who might be struggling with um, getting outside or the mindset and just basically adapting um, how they get on. Just going back to your career uh, as well now, Barry. So obviously, some of your stats are unbelievable. So obviously, uh, just correct me if I'm wrong, but career stats are 40 games at Oldham, 13 at Wigan and a massive 283 appearances at Rhinos, um, which is something surely you're very proud of. But when were the first time that you knew that rugby was going to be your ultimate, your, your career? Mm, um, when were the first time? That's an interesting... I don't think anybody's ever asked me that because if I look back at my career, a lot of the things happen by accident. And yeah. accident is is the word that I tend to throw out there for, for major parts of my life. At the age of 15, I was out with a, a, a mate of mine in one of the fields. I live up, up in Saddleworth, very rural, very yeah. 
you know, you can find a little bit of forest everywhere. And uh, we went out shooting with an air rifle, uh, an air rifle pellet ricocheted off my nose, blinded me in my right eye yeah. um, on the spot. So, so that accident led to a rethink, a change in focus, a change in direction. And I had to get something behind me. So if any students listening to this thinking, well, I'm no good at maths, I'm no good at English, I'm no good at those basic and fundamental parts of school. So what chance have I got moving forward? That was very much yeah. my prospects as, a, as an academic student. I didn't fit in anywhere. The one thing I loved was sport. Yeah, That was the thing that I thought would get me where I wanted to go. And if I think back to the 15, 14-year-old Barry, um, he was looking at a life in the armour, life in the forces, Traveling the world, yeah. gaining some experience by, you know, by by being part of a team, being part of a, a an army, if you like, and that was what I wanted to do. But on that day, it changed. So, sport was something that I sort of fell back on. Yeah, I also I also was pretty kinesthetic, as as learners were either audio, visual, or kinesthetic. Yeah, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I like to have it in my hands, pull it apart. I'm not somebody who looks at you know, you get your flat pack furniture. I'm not somebody that looks at the instructions, me. I take it as a personal challenge yeah. to fling. It's an ongoing joke in our house. I fling the instructions away <laughs> because I want to look at all the pieces and figure it out myself. That that probably explains why every piece of furniture in our house is falling down. But that's, the way, <laughs> that's the way I learn and yeah. that's the way I went about what I was doing. So sport along with working on the building sites as a carpenter and joiner. That was the first five years of my adult life. Um, in and amongst that, I got the chance to play for Barla, the Great Britain amateur side at, um, at under-19s level. I'd yeah. done no schoolboy rugby. I'd done, no, I'd done a little bit of town team or service area, as it was called a few years back. I'd done a little bit of that, but not really excelling in any level. I was a July kid. Yeah. Um, so again, if if you understand how the quartiles work, if you're born in the first three months of the year, you have a natural advantage. You're a bit more uh, advanced in your physical development. You're maturing a little bit quicker than people who are born typically at the back end. So I'm a July baby. Yeah. I was right behind everybody in everything, physically and emotionally. Um. And then what happened is I played up a year in the sport. So in that final year of my school um, sports, and then and then when I moved away from school sports and I went playing as a, as a young adult, 16, 17, 18-year-old, I had no problem playing against people who were a little bit bigger than me. Yeah, so yeah. When, I, when I joined a professional game, I was feared of no man. I was not scared of anybody. And that yeah. that bravery, bravery, stroke, stupidity, because they're <laughs> intrinsically linked, I think those two in rugby league uh, got got me noticed, got me a chance at Oldham. After three years with Oldham, I went to Wigan, and then after a year with Wigan, I got the chance to join the Leeds Rhinos, which which was the making of me. I know I, I understand. Yeah. I'm I'm talking to people from Pontefract here. They'll they'll be Featherstone, they'll be Castleford. Yeah, all that area. There might be a, there, there might be a few. Or there might be Wakey. There might be a few Rhinos fans or aware of Leeds Rhinos. Uh, but predominantly people are going to look at Leeds Rhinos and stick with their locality and have that love-hate relationship with the Rhinos. But I didn't have any of that baggage. Yeah, I was born and born and bred in Oldham. So I looked at, at the Rhinos, Leeds RL as they were back then, and thought this is a good side 
fabulous stadium, yeah. absolutely world-class atmosphere because I'd been there as an opposing player. And uh, I wanted to be part of something that could grow from those from those foundations at the Rhinos. 100%. And obviously, you, you put your stamp on that with all the appearances you got as well. Um, so, so going into just you being at Leeds, um, obviously, you won the Super League, the Challenge Cup, uh, the World Club Challenge as well. What were it like playing for such a dominant Rhinos team at that stage of your career? And how did it make you progress also as a person and a player? being around um, the same sort of people as you who were, who were so determined to succeed? Yeah, I so I came to the Rhinos basically because I'd been shown the door by by Wigan. I'd, I'd been yeah. very unprofessional, disrespected my sport. And the, the lesson that I learned is if you don't respect the environment that, that you're in, in a rugby league context, they'll get rid of you and they'll just yeah. get the new, the new next big thing in to replace you. So when I went to Leeds at a different... Mentality. When I was at Wigan, it was about winning. It was about excellence, perfection, being an ultra professional, but being separated yeah. from the community. Excuse me. But while I was at Oldham, I was a member of that community and I couldn't escape whether I went for my paper in the morning or I went for a bacon butty or, you know, I was out for a few beers with my mates at yeah. weekend. Everybody, everybody had a view on how I played and how the team that I was in was playing. So when I joined the Rhinos, it was very much a, a combination of those two things, being excellent, striving for perfection, only ever giving your best because that was what it was expected of you, but also being a representative of your community, being a person who the people who lived and and taught and, you know, shone, shone a light on what could be a good example in Leeds could That's say that, that guy's a good guy. You know, I very much consider myself an imperfect person. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all day, every day, but I try not to make the same mistakes over over and over again. And that yeah. that then you can flip that on its head that when I find something that works, as we did when I was a Rhinos player, when I found what it would take to win, yeah. I would do that to the best of my ability. And sometimes that stuff's really, really hard. It's really difficult because everybody wants to win. Yeah. But does everybody want to train to to win, if that makes sense? Yeah, 100%. You yeah. know, you, you're relying on, and, and very much as a student, as an academic student, I would look at some of my peers and think, well, he's just good at maths. Yeah. That's him. He's naturally gifted at maths. Now, there's an element of that, but there's also, if you work hard, if you look at what you're not good at and you break it down in very small pieces of, I can look at this and identify it towards my sporting context. Yeah. When I was making, uh, you know, head high tackles and getting sent off, I would think, well, well, what am I doing wrong? And I would yeah. have coaches that would break it down. How fit was I? How, how fit was I at that particular point in time? What was my footwork like? What was my approach like? Did I dip at the right time? Were my hands in the right place? So strip that back to your academic life. And if yeah. you can break what you've got to learn into really, really, really small pieces, it's not as intimidating. And again, I'll repeat it. When I've done those big things, those Kilimanjaro's, those Everest base camps, it's just literally about putting one foot in front of the other yeah. and focusing on the, those feet, those incremental gains, till eventually you get confident enough to look at the peak that's in front of you and think, well, well my word, I'm, I'm nearly there now. So, yeah. so, so sport was my vehicle to learn, but I've adapted it 
and I'm sure we'll talk about after, but I've adapted it to to my working life. Now, the lessons that I learned in sport, A, A, it's not easy, it's difficult, but B, the rewards are there if you put the effort and, and hard work in. 100%. That's what I'm going to say about um, you as an individual. I've seen you play on, on TV and things like that. I've heard stories from Leeds Rhinos fans. Uh, my dad watches Leeds as well and all he does is speak highly of you as a player and and how you come across when you spoke on, on Sky and things like that. Um, you're well known, obviously, you had the eye injury that, that you spoke about. You're well known as, as a rugby league hard man as well. But what sacrifices did you have to make uh, individually when you were younger, when you were playing for different clubs? Uh, and how hard did you have to really work to get to where you got, which were ultimately um, uh, the true professional as well uh, at Leeds? Well, sacrifice were a big part of my early career at the Leeds yeah. Rhinos. As I say, I'd not been a great professional at the Wigan Warriors. And Wigan at that time w- would win everything. They, unless they played badly, which rarely happened, they would win everything. Yeah. Uh, and it was a team littered with the best of the best internationals. They would have and could have been captains everywhere else in the league if yeah. they'd played for different teams. So when I went to Leeds, it was a shock to my system. So sacrifices happened throughout my career, but I made the biggest adjustments to my life at the at the very beginnings of the Leeds Rhinos journey because, you know, again, small incremental gains can make a massive difference. So yeah. very much now in 2021, Players will will analyse their game and they'll have a they'll have a piece of kit. They'll sit in front of a PC in front of a big screen. They'll go through their individual clips. Yeah. When I went to Leeds, we didn't have much. They didn't. We didn't quite have that, but we we could go in and look at our game, look at our opposition. But because I was from Oldham and I was playing for the Leeds Rhinos, there's an hour's worth of traffic. So at the beginning yeah. of my day, I would get up about five thirty get on the road about 10 to 6, try and get into Leeds about half, six, quarter to seven. Yeah. Training didn't start sometimes while nine. Most of the time it was eight. So I'm a good hour early. But what I'd done is I'd taken away the anxiety of the travel, the potential for a crash on the motorway or a big yeah. bit of congestion. So it meant that what I could do is get to Leeds, go and get a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, get some breakfast, maybe something I'd prepared before, or we we tended to find places that would do us a bit of porridge later on in my career. Uh, And it was a suggestion that came from the players. We started having breakfast made for us. We'd give a couple of quid every week. We'd have a big bowl of porridge and some fruit. And that start to my day meant that I'd got up early. I felt fresh. I wasn't screeching around the corner with two minutes to go to training. I was there in good time. I had a good full stomach and I could attack the day. So I was first on the field. I was last off the field because I would attach myself, bit by accident, but yeah. a bit by design, to to some of the some of the pivotal players. So at first it was Yestin Harris, and then after that it was the great Sir Kevin Sinfield. So yeah. Kev was a kicker. Yestin was a kicker. So because I travelled with Yestin, he would kick most days for about ten or fifteen minutes after. I would go under the sticks and catch those kicks if I could get to them anyway. So that was something I did throughout my career. So not only was I helping my travelling buddy out, not only was I helping my teammate out, I was actually learning another skill and getting a little bit better at being under those high kicks. So 
little small incremental gains each and every day ended up making a massive difference so i made changes to my lifestyle i made changes and sacrifices in my personal life um the best example is i didn't go to my sister's wedding yeah because it was the night before a big game i was in camp we had a semi-final which we ultimately lost but my family understood that yeah. i wanted to give myself every opportunity to to get the right result at the end of every game. And I did that all the way through fr from, I would say, from the point that I got chucked out of Wigan yeah. for, for not obeying and not not standing by the guidelines that were set by the club. Yeah, so that obviously that family support were really beneficial for you in the long run and when you went to Leeds. You mentioned about yeah. um, a little bit about what you ate before uh, when you went to Leeds and you're saying that you're paying a few pounds for porridge and things like that. Obviously, nutrition and diets change massively at the moment, and that's yeah. Uh, all clubs have got nutritionists. That's within rugby, football, and all the other sports. So, what were your nutrition like compared to when you started at Oldham to then finishing at Leeds? Did it change massively or, or yeah, drastically? Yeah, drastically. So, as a as a young man, I always wanted, you know, a bit like everybody, I wanted big arms, a big chest, yeah. and a thin waist. Um, but I want that as a 48-year-old. I want big arms, a big chest and a thin waist. I think most people yeah. do. Most people do, don't they? So, they do, mate, yeah. So when I, when I started off as a sort of 17, 18-year-old professional, I, I would try and get as much protein in my body as I could, whether it was milk, yeah. meat, anything, shakes, anything I could get my hands on. And I tried to have that balance of, and it is very basic, protein, carbohydrate and fats in the right sort of quantity. Probably... The, the balance I got used to was 50% protein, yeah, 30% carbohydrate, and 20% fat. And that, that sounds it sounds really basic and easy to do, but, but B, it's like, well, how do I weigh a, a chicken sandwich out? And how do I weigh a pizza out? And yeah, yeah. I, got, I got really particular about what I was eating and what, what I would eat. But what I would do is I would allow myself a weekend day off so if we played on friday night yeah i would i would give myself a cheat day on friday um and yeah. that's 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 changed a little bit now as i've got older but now as a as a as a as a bloke that still trains four or five times a week i've i've just got back from a run there just done yeah um probably about four mile so about a thousand calories i've burned but what i've done is i've earned my i've earned my evening meal if you know what i mean and, yeah definitely yeah. you know Hey, hey, listen, we're all northerners on here. It's breakfast, dinner, and tea. It's <laughs> breakfast, it dinner, and tea. In That's what it is, yeah. Dinners, dinners in the middle of the day, not at night. But my <laughs> evening agree. meal, my evening meal, you know, I try and have more meat than than potatoes or pasta or rice or anything like that. And I'm, I'm quite particular still. I'm quite yeah. disciplined in that regard. But when I get to weekend, you know, I like a takeaway like anyone else. Um, if, if, if the mood takes me, I'm not a big drinker, but if I want a drink, I'll have a drink. And I allow myself that splurge because I've done two things. I've looked after myself yeah. during the week. And for five days, I've eaten well, eaten healthily. Uh, and four or five times minimum, I've got out and done a little bit of exercise. Even if it's if it's a walk, I'm, I'm in Saddleworth, as I said. So yeah. I'm, I'm surrounded by hills. I'm either walking or running up or down a hill wherever I go, whichever direction I go out in. So me and my little staffy will either run or walk every day. And then I allow myself a bit of a treat at weekend. But I definitely feel 
for my mentality. If I have that little bit of discipline, sacrifice in the week, I don't mind a bit of a splurge at weekend. And, yeah. I, and I don't there's, I don't sweat it because I know that by Monday, I'm back on it. Back on it. And you've had your reward as well. So, yeah. Um, Definitely good for the mindset. Just last few questions about your um, playing career, Barry. Then we're going to go on to your um, after your playing days. But um, when you, you started eating well as well, so when you went to Leeds, you, your diet improved. Um, did that improve you in the in the gym? So obviously, um, rugby players doing um, lots of weights. Did that improve your your strength in the gym as well? That then adapted to your your playing. I think the game changed a little bit, Danny. Whilst. In, in as a 19 year old I needed to play 80 minutes yeah. as a 34 year old when I came out of the game it, it wasn't the case it was 20 25 minute two 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 bursts of that kind of time yeah. time period so it did change a little bit and so did my body shape I entered the game about 17 and a half stone I left the game about 18 stone but in between that I fluctuated. Yeah. fluctuated from anything from 17 stone at my lightest yeah. to 18 and a half stone as my heaviest. So naturally, when I was 18 and a half stone, I could lift an house, yeah. but I couldn't but I couldn't carry it. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have that explosive power. Yeah. But then when I was 17 stone, I could run forever, but I didn't feel as, as robust and as strong and and part of my game was about power and running oh, yeah. through brick, running through brick walls, trying to sort of gain some momentum for my team. So, so there were lots of different things that I looked at, and adjusted my diet, adjusted my weight. And ma- the main thing was really the bloke that picked the team. What did he want me to do? Did he want yeah, me to 100%. play 60, 70, 80 minutes, or did he want me to give him two explosive? Uh, stints and, and and then I adjusted my diet and my weights accordingly. But I think I was always quite naturally gifted, quite naturally. Yeah, definitely. Um, what what they used to call a fast twitch fiber athlete. Switch, so my yeah. first, first three steps, you know, it you know, it's still a badge of honor I, I carry around now. Leroy Rivet. In yeah. 1999, won the Man of Steel. Sorry, not the Man of Steel. He won the uh, Man of the Match in the Challenge Cup final. Yeah, um, get, was given the Lance Todd Trophy for scoring four tries all year. Every time we did a sprint session, I would partner up with him because we were only running twenty meters, and I could, if not keep up with him, then beat him on the on those twenty meters. So, yeah, yeah. so that was my benchmark. Yeah, good benchmark to have, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, really, he was the fastest in the team. Yeah. I always did that, Danny, and and um, you know, it's something that's worth mentioning to your students I didn't ever I didn't ever and I think I'm I'm going to again reference the bravery stroke stupidity theory that I didn't ever partner up with anybody that was less a lesser standard than me so if I was doing weights it would be with a guy called Wayne McDonald who was six foot seven 19 stone and as strong as an ox I did my weights with him yeah. I did me wrestling with a guy called Chev Walker, who was naturally very physically strong. Yeah, I did me yeah. boxing with boxing with a guy called Dave Ferner, who coached the Rhinos a couple of years ago, but he was a, a junior golden glove boxing champ. I did my speed and agility with uh, a, another Pontefract resident, uh, Rob Burrow. I did my speed yeah. and agility with him because he was the most agile 
player in our team and everybody that I partnered up with was always better than me at those things. But I viewed failure on the training pitch. I viewed that as a learning tool to get yeah. better on a field. I, it, it would have done me no good partnering, part, partnering up doing speed and agility with Wayne McDonald. It would have done yeah. me no good doing weights with Rob Burrow because I would blow them out of the water. Yeah. So I always partnered up with somebody that could make me better and improve me. Yeah, I think that's a great example and, and mindset as well for any young athlete out there, not just in rugby, but it could be in any sport as well to, to make sure that yeah. they're getting the best out of that. Uh, last question yeah. on your um, unbelievable playing career, really, and then we're just going to go on to, to after your playing days. But the last question on your, your playing days, what's your, obviously you've got a lot of proud, proud moments, like I mentioned earlier, uh, everything that you've won as a player. But what's um, your proudest moment in your playing days, what really stands out for you? And the second part of that question is, what's the best, or who is, sorry, the best player that you've actually played with? You sent me these questions earlier today, and I'm having to really think about the best players. Yeah, um, I'm I thought that give might you, be a difficult one. I'm going to give you a list. Uh, the, the, proudest, the proudest moment of my playing career yeah. happened after my playing career. So as you mentioned before, yeah. was the first player to win the, the Challenge Cup final, Grand Final, World Club Challenge, and the League Leaders' Shield. I was the first person to win the first three and then the first person to have all four. Of yeah, course, League Rhinos has, has been incredibly successful since I left in, in uh, 2006. But the proudest moment happened after, and it happened um, in 19... Sorry, 19. 2019. I'm making myself older. Yeah. 2019, <laughs> when I was inducted into the League Rhinos Hall of Fame, I was yeah. the 12th person. Um, it's been around 125 years, the Leeds Rhinos. There's more than 1,600 players that have represented the Leeds yeah. Rhinos. There'll be there'll be a couple more debuts this year, but I'm the 16th, sorry, the 12th member of the Leeds Rhinos Hall of Fame. Rob yeah, Burrow was the 16th, and, I, and I'm so proud because it's such a good club with some incredible people and some some unbelievable players, and to be to be separated and put up. Um, as somebody that that's got a little bit more of a distinction that that separates me from them, I, I'm so proud. So, yeah. player wise, um, I played with some incredible players whose names that that won't be familiar to to your students. But I suppose the one that sticks out for me, and I'm I'm going to give a mention to to people like Andy Farrell. Andy Farrell, yeah. who's who's currently coaching Island Rugby League, was in my opinion the best player to have played in the summer era. And, and I know there's been some some wonderful players in the last 25 years, but he'd be the top of that list. Yeah. But the one that I think is is the best player is is our very own Kevin Sinfield. And it's it's not because he was the, the most accomplished player. He wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the fittest. He wasn't the strongest. He was an incredible kicker, but he wasn't the best kicker. Yeah. But what he did is he worked hard every single day to improve in every aspect of his game. He's carried that through now and he's doing a good job at the Rhinos and he's yeah, doing definitely. a better job now than he did two years ago. And and I I know why he's getting better at his job because he's trying to make those small incremental improvements every single day. And I know I know I keep repeating that. Yeah. But I think it's it's the thing that if if somebody would have said to me at 17 or 18 and and I suppose they did in a way because they said, 
listen, Barry, you'll, you'll only get to your peak when you're 28, 29. And I didn't yeah. believe them because I wanted it then. And I didn't want to be told that I weren't good now. It's just that it takes you a long time to perfect those skills. So yeah. they, they call it the 10,000 hour rule. And how I would give you your students an analogy for that is as a young man, I used to sit next to my dad in the car and I'd watch my dad drive when I was about 12 or 13. And I used to think, oh, I can't wait to drive, but I didn't know how to drive. When I became 17 and eligible to drive, I had my lessons and I passed my test. When I, when I used to sit next to my dad, I was consciously incompetent at driving. Yeah. When I passed my test, I was consciously competent at driving, consciously competent. After about 10 years of driving, what, what we can do nowadays is we can maybe have a sandwich in your left hand, you know, you shouldn't be messing with your phone, but you might be taking a call on your hands free. You might be listening to a song, singing the song, whilst watching your sat nav, and you get from your 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 uh, your, your set off point to your destination, and you can't recall the journey because you've been unconsciously competent at that skill. And that's the analogy I would try and impress on students. Yeah. All day, every day, just do the little things that get you better. Because in the long run, once you've amassed those 10,000 hours and once you've done those those little things that get you better, you'll reap the rewards at the other end. Definitely. Did you always see Kev as a, as a leader or as a coach in, in the early days as well, just from his characteristics and, and how he was as a person? Well, I've known Kevin since he was about 13 years old. We're both from the same amateur club. We're both from the same town. Still only live a couple of hundred metres yeah. away from one another. I've, I've run past his house today, actually. He lives on the posh side of town. <laughs> I, li- I, I live at the rough end. But um, yeah. I, I, do, I do see him now as a very much evolved person. And, and again, that's down to the strategies and the formulas that I've explained. But as yeah. a young man, what I saw is a very determined person, somebody who listened, somebody who observed. He was the first person, you know, it seems very basic now, and it's something I take into my professional life. I take a notepad everywhere with me and I try and write things down. Yeah. Because partly because I've got the world's worst memory, but mainly <laughs> because you can come back and you can reference it and you, you write down the important things and they're never lost. Well, Kevin took his notepad and his, his little file of facts everywhere. That's how old we are. We had a file of facts and a biro and we'd write everything down. So some of the things that he did, I would, as a, a bloke who was eight or nine years older than him, look at him and think, well, I've never seen that before. And I would yeah. adopt some of those things. But again, the people that I've been around have given me a lot of the things that I have naturally in my in my toolbox now. And yeah, you, you you don't know everything. You don't know everything. I don't know everything at my age now. As a middle-aged man now, I don't yeah. know everything. So the things I don't know, I watch, I observe, I write it down, I think about it. If it's rele- relevant to me, I nick it and I make no bones about it. If it's not relevant for me, I might come back to it or I might not ever use it. But yeah. it's in that little notebook and um, it doesn't it doesn't get lost in my in my very poor memory bank. Yeah. Um, moving on just from your playing days now as well. So um, you've mentioned as well already that you've done some life-changing events uh, that you've mentioned earlier in the, in the talk. Um, just before I joined uh, Pontefract New College, I, I believe you did um, one of our sports awards in 2010. Um, we've got a few ex-students as well at Pontefract who, who, who played for Leeds Rhinos Academy, so such in, um, individuals like Corey Johnson, Owen Trout, 
uh, Brad Martin and a few others as well. Very good. Um, Very good. How did you find the, the transition compared to compared to playing when you, you were doing some work at the academy? Yeah, it's an interesting question because a, a lot of people will tell you now that sport, sportsmen become institutionalised. So all the rules that yeah. I've said previously, all the things about being dedicated, single-minded, making sacrifices, when you come out of that environment and you go into City Street, they're not quite used in the same manner. So if you're single-minded in, in, in City Street, you know, you're not flexible enough, you're not adaptable enough, you're not listening to people because you think you've got a different way of doing it. Um, yeah. So, so the point I'm making is you do have to make that transition before you transition. If, if you think that at 34 you're going to come out of the game, don't expect at 33 and a half to start learning the things, the skills, the tools that you're going to need to, to move you forward. You should always be looking at what is my next step. I'm very much like that now. I've got, yeah. I've got the, the job on TV that's, that's really glamorous, you know, really prestigious and I take it really seriously but I know that at some point much like playing I'm going to have to step aside and somebody else is going to do that job so yeah. I'm putting plans in place all the time I'm I'm dropping little seeds and making sure that those little acorns are, are, are on the way to growing into giant oak trees now I'm not waiting for it to happen so the answer to your question is I'd already put those plans in place when I was in my early 20s when I'd yeah. start, started to get comfortable at the Rhinos, I put my hand up to do everything, whether it was speaking at a school, um, presenting trophies at a local amateur club or going to a hospice where there were some very poorly people. I'd always put my hands up. Uh, when we had sponsors' nights, I'd always get up and I'd always speak on behalf of the team, about the team, whether it was yeah. informative, whether it was humorous, whether it was about myself or the people in the room, because... I wanted people to be surprised at what they saw and heard in comparison yeah. to what the bloke on the rugby team on the rugby field was like. So so I was a bit of a I was a bit of a lad on the rugby field. I didn't mind a, a collision, I didn't mind a confrontation, and I didn't mind a scuffle. But yeah. off the field, I was completely different to that. You know, I yeah. I was brought up in a in a very working class very female dominated orientated household you know we all went to church on a sunday brought up yeah. as a catholic brought up to church didn't matter what time rugby was on a sunday i had to go to saturday mass or midnight or sorry or or late mass on a sunday i always had to fit in miss, somewhere yeah. and it, it gave me a good foundation i'm you know i'm not a practicing catholic um and i haven't been for the last five or six years but for a long time i went each and every week and i probably will go back at some point when I get a chance to, it's it's always been a part of my life and my upbringing and under the umbrella of religion, but not confined to religion, is try to do some good things because if you do, it tends to bounce back, it tends to yeah. come back on you and then that falls in with my philosophy of transition. If I do the yeah. right things now, when I do need to move on to the next thing, it's just a simple step forward, not a giant leap. Yeah, do you feel that approach that you had then about the transition from your early days, like you said, you did that from when you were early 20. Do you think that approach has now got you to where you are today after your playing days for the little bits that you do on on the commentating on Sky as well? Because obviously it's a really good job and a lot of people would love to go into a role like that. So would you say that you taking that approach in your early days has got you to where you are now? 
the way that I played rugby and the way that I approached my life in rugby league is is the way that I live my life. And it, there's elements of my rugby mentality all over. I don't, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to put bigots on and start fights in scrums. It just yeah. don't go. It don't go down well in in working yeah. in working life. But I, I, you know, I listen. I learn. I take notes. What I do is when I go in a meeting, I'll always shake hands, introduce myself to people, and them are some of the basic soft skills that I picked up in my life on and off the pitch. Yeah, that definitely. then means that you get to talk to people, you get to meet people, and at some point you'll meet the right person and the right person will take a shine to you and give you a chance and an opportunity at a job, at a skill, at you know, at something that pro- could progress you in your personal development and then you know, ultimately in, in a way that can pay your bills when when you're not counting the pigskin up for a living, which is what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about, I'm sure this isn't just for students, this is probably for the general public, not just in the UK, but it's it's all around the world as well now. Just from, um, obviously, um, your good friend Rob, um, who's fighting, obviously, the, the awful disease of MND. Um, you've, you've spoke about the, the charity events you've done as well already so far. Um but obviously, how we, how important is it for people to keep spreading the word about the disease and and how often do you still speak to Rob about the charity and how is he getting on? I'll ask a, I'll answer the last question first. He's getting on really well. He's obviously very poorly um, with yeah. the with the disease of motor neuron disease. He's not going to get better. That is a yeah. fact. Uh, and yeah, it's, lucky, it's, sorry, I was lucky enough to speak to his, his dad um, last week, and they said something about. Uh, a suit that might help him move or, yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's got something. I mean, he's looking for things all the time that will help him help his existence to be a little bit better. He's, he's also going to, going to get access to one of the iPads and what it will do. They'll, they'll zone in on his retina. His retina yeah. will help him form words and sentences and he'll, he'll be able to communicate. People who've watched his story will have heard his, his, uh, land banked voice messages yeah. and what he did before he lost the use of his voice is, is he recorded it and he could use that to form words in his own accent it's it's a bit strange but there we are but then um his fingers and his hands aren't as good as they they were before so he's going to have to change and adapt to this ipad that that will that will zone into his retina so so he's always good listen i, I go and see him every couple of weeks i saw him yeah uh, last Friday, I think it might have been last Friday or the Friday before, sat with sat with him, um, not sat with him in the same rooms, you, yeah. you know, socially distanced at the other end of of his garden path, um, and and Jeff were there as well. So so yeah, I want to see him every couple of weeks because I want um, I want to make sure I'm I'm sort of the visible part of part of the support network that he's got. He knows he's got all his mates at the end of his phone whenever he wants us. But I think it's important that he sees us visually, even if I'm, as I said, just stood at the end of his drive, giving him the thumbs up and sending him a text or shouting some, some, some messages to him from the bottom of his drive. Um, We've got plenty of things planned this year. Um, Those that have followed his story might have heard uh, two two big things. One I'm involved with majorly, which is the Borough Seven campaign, which was yeah. the horse, the horse that was named in his honour, uh, which should be racing in the next few months. And then, of course, um, Kev Sinfield did a little jog around where we live, and he raised a couple of quid for MND. So, 
Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, of co- I'm of course, I'm of course playing it down. You know, Kev did seven marathons in seven yeah. days, all, all under three hours and 40 minutes. I was with him for four of them, uh, running at the side of him. For, sorry, yeah. not running, cycling at the side of him for two of them. I couldn't run at the side. I've done a 10K with him and I can't keep up with him, but yeah. cycling at the side of him for two of them. And it was just incredible. And, oh, and obviously yeah. the love that 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 Rob got because Kev shone the light on the disease was was remarkable. And we're all really proud of Kev and I'm delighted for Rob that he gets that little bit more love and attention. But as as we keep saying, it, it shows it shows everybody else and it gives a little glimpse into what a, an incredible bloke Rob is and how much we all love him. You know, everybody else is, is only falling in love with him. We've been in love with him since we met him and I'm, and yeah. I'm not afraid to say that. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a journey that we're on with him and with her every step of the way. And, um, yeah, whatever whatever happens next, we'll make sure we're there with him and, and give him all the love and support we can. Yeah, I think the support, um, just from all of you um, that supported him throughout as well, um, and obviously the important message it's sending about what MND is as well for people. Not even, the stuff, or... even the stuff that you do, Danny, and I'm not playing down. And, and for me, listen, whether you're raising underground like Burrow 7 did, 2.8 yeah. million like Kev's Runs did, or you raise 300 quid in a raffle yeah. that you do at your school, it matters not a jot. It matters not yeah. a jot. What it means is that you are lending your support you're actually getting up and you're making a small incremental gain that hopefully, if we all do our little bit, going right back, giving it full circle and, and bringing my analogy in, you bring it full yeah. circle. And uh, if we all do a little bit, then at some point we'll climb that man- mountain, we'll run that marathon and we'll make sure that this disease is eradicated. Because if there's one thing 2020 taught us, if, if it's important to everybody, you know, we can find a cure for anything. 100% totally agree. Um, and obviously, thoughts are really robbing, hopefully. He's doing okay. Um, last one, really, Barry. So I appreciate it. I've spent quite a lot of your time. But um, what would you say? So what would your message be now to any young sports person out there who, who's looking to use sports as a career that might not just be playing? Um, and what what would your message be? Obviously, we have vast experience of the game. Again, I've had a bit of time to think about this, so you know, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to talk to the sort of top two, three, five percent of people that play sport because it'd be easy to say, train hard, work hard, and if you're lucky, you'll get through to the grand final and you play for your country and all the rest of it. But what yeah. I think sport gives people, and it's definitely the case for me, but what I think sport gives you is. It gives you a circle of friends who are like-minded. They're prepared to do the uncomfortable stuff for a little bit of reward. We all like to surround ourselves with people who you know you can trust on when the times get difficult. Sport gives you that. It teaches you about sacrifice. It teaches you about discipline. And it teaches you about understanding that you're not going to win every time. So, you know, it sounds bizarre to say that it teaches you about losing because nobody wants to learn how to lose. As an Oldham player, we learned how to lose most weeks because we didn't win hardly anything. I reckon I'm talking to the Featherstone players and the Featherstone um, junior rugby players rather than the Wakey, the Cast, the Leeds players. But yeah. what? What? But I'm being a bit cheeky there. But, but as an older man, I, I learned how to put my shoulders back, take my medicine. 
and keep pushing forward and not let the knocks, not let the bumps, the bruises, the losses knock the wind out of me and take away my enthusiasm. So that would have to be the advice that I would give. Anybody that, wants, anybody that wants to play sport at whatever level, don't let the losses put you off. Focus on what you're gaining. Focus on what you're going to get out of it in those great times. Because every um, grand final appearance, every challenge fight, challenge cup final, every try that you score, there's a hundred training sessions where you have to learn that skill. There's a hundred gym sessions. There's a hundred different times where you have to practice that skill to deliver it on a wet Saturday night in November to be given yeah. half a second to get it right. You have to put a load of time in. So my advice would be celebrate your wins and don't get too down after your losses. Yeah, definitely. A good message. Um, just want to say a massive thank you for that. I'm sure that not just the, the students, but even other, other people listening to that will have will get so, so much out of it. And it's been a, an honour and a pleasure to speak to you as well, Barry. So I just want to say thank you for that. It's my pleasure, Danny. And likewise, I want to thank you and all your colleagues, all the teachers, all the people yeah. that, that give that inspiration to the young people because uh, a teacher... Fred Lawton was was very special to me, and he yeah. gave me the the confidence. He gave me the encouragement. A really important time of my life, year seven, year eight, when I was a little bit small, you know, not sure where I would play. He would he would encourage me. He would get behind me. So you and your colleagues, Danny, you keep doing what you're doing as well. So thank you on behalf of your students. Yeah, appreciate it very much, um, and. Enjoy the rest of the lockdown as best as you can, and I hope to speak to you soon as well. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Have a good one. Good Thank luck, Thank you very everyone. much, Rory. Take care. My pleasure, mate. Take care.